back everybody to the retro blood as we enter our halloween month here on the retro blood it is finally here our two month long halloween extravaganza where the retro blood is going to dive in and talk about the entire series of the one and only the friday the 13th that's right yeah If you like masked, crazy killer man, if you like camps, if you like girls walking around nude, this is going to be the series review for you. And and of course, up first, if you like Kevin Bacon, a young Kevin Bacon, getting killed in a sleeper, uh, like a bunk bed after getting it on. If you like camp counselors walking around, if you like first person views, if you like probably one of the best twists in horror movies, this is the review for you because the Retro Blood starting off this Halloween month with the original Friday the 13th. Jay Austin, James Klein, yes. what's happening, Allison? What's up, man? Um, I have been looking forward to doing these movies for a long time. Yes. And I didn't know how we were going to do it. I really did not know how we were going to do this. Um, because there's so many of them. Yes. <laughs> um, there's so many of them that came out in the 80s. Like, I mean, kind of, in my opinion, Rick, Friday the 13th defines the 80s as yeah. far as horror movies go. Yeah, it, it pretty um, much has to because yeah. half of the series, like eight yeah. movies, came out in the 80s, which is crazy. Eight movies. Eight movies. We're doing yeah. eight of these motherfuckers. Yeah. Like, it kind of reminds me, you know, so we would later kind of see this later on if we go to the 2000s when we're talking about Saw. But, like, you know, in the, in the 1980s, we did have a lot of franchises starting. But, you know, yes. th- this 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 franchise is, like, not only did it start, but it also kind of, like, peaked in the 80s as well. So it's Oh, it be, definitely peaked. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, it basically there's peaked. a hell that, you know, you know what I mean, brother? Bring that back. But uh, but yes, it, it's definitely starting to peak over here. And this is one. And then you know we're gonna be talking about this like the whole two months. But yeah, these, two months. these movies, these Friday Thirteen movies, like you can see the the blueprint in like a lot of these films. Even some films that we've already done. You know, when it comes like the Burning, Sleepaway Camp. You know what I mean? Yeah. Final Exam. You know, just mm-hmm. like these films that took a lot of elements from. Friday the 13th series when it comes to either being out in the woods or, 
you know, having a, a crazy, you know, stalker, you know, in there. So yeah, it just it's just crazy to think how like this series is like you know, I would say like evolved the horror movie genre, and it all starts with this one, the original Friday the Thirteenth, which which was uh which when we get to the who booked this shit, which is gonna be a long one, you know, mm-hmm. we can kind of see where our boy uh, Cunningham was getting a lot of his ideas from. So it, it's it's pretty crazy how they all like kind of like mixed together. When it comes to like the uh, the three big horror films that are all kind of like made in the eighties, which is like Halloween, you know, Friday the Thirteenth, and of course Nightmare on Elm Street, and how they kind of like are like linked together in a way. So, but we'll get on to that. Yes. So, but yeah, this is gonna be a crazy, a crazy two months over here in September mm. and October, and of and course October. we have a, a shit ton of uh, extras coming your ways as well too. You know, drop yes. it on the uh, the Retro Blood uh, feed. We'll do a couple lights out. And, of course, we're going to do the Retro Blood shorts that you can find on YouTube. All the links are in the uh, descriptions for every show we dropped. But, Allison, how you doing, man? How's it, how's everything? Doing good, going? man. Doing good, man. It's a great day. Um, yeah, good good, good day. Um, still hot as shit. Yes. But, so I'm pretending that it's fall, even though it's like... 90 degrees well you know we're we're in summer camp but um (laughs) we just arrived we're summer camp you're right we're in summer camp but yeah like yeah (laughs) camp blood brother but yeah this is good though because it's like we were trying to figure out how we were going to do these movies but you know and 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 since honestly since since retro blood started yeah in its infancy when we when it was a little baby podcast that we didn't know what we were going to do or how we were going to do it we wanted to have a big Halloween. You know, we've always talked about that, how we wanted to have a big Halloween celebration. And the first couple of years, we did the best we could. But this is like a really big Halloween celebration. So Halloween season starts in September. Starts in September, blood. brother. Yes. Yeah. You know, we- September the 3rd is the first day of Halloween. Yeah. You know, in our, in our past ones, you know, you know, when we first started, we did the the Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, the ones they made in the eighties, which is kind of getting us off the bat. You know, last yeah, year we did Halloween. Yeah, last year we did Halloween, which is super fun. You know, yeah. but like I said, like this one, since there were so many movies made in the eighties, you know, we can we can we can cover a lot more of the series, which is nice. We could, we can. So we yes, so which would be pretty pretty awesome. So. But I say, like every Retro Blood, let's get into some of the history of what was going on in the, the world of the pro wrestling and the metal around the release metal. date. We like to do let's this. Do we like to do this for every Retro Blood because we want to, you know, me and Allison over here, we're big fans of horror movies, big fans of metal, big fans of pro wrestling. And yep. in the 80s, all that shit was awesome. So might as well just, yep. I would assume most fans of horror movies probably were fans of metal and wrestling i mean they just three of them just go hand in hand am i right over here no i completely agree yeah. like they do i think those things do go hand in hand in in many different ways like people who are into metal like real metal like slayer and things like that yeah. are, are probably into like more gore kind of films and like you know they they probably you know if you listen to slayer you probably enjoyed going to see like you know 20 year old girls get hacked up in friday the 13th I mean, I know I did. Yes. You know, 
for what that's worth. Um, and then at the same time, you know, wrestling, pro wrestling has that kind of, kind of, you know, it has that drama. It has that, uh, you know, that blood, that, that, uh, primal bloodlust that you get from all these other, other elements that we talk about in metal and, and, um, in horror movies and all that kind of goes together. I think that, um, a lot of those people, a lot of people that like that are, are fans of all three of those genres. For oh, sure. yeah, definitely. So the date that we're talking about when the first ever Friday the 13th came out was May 9th, 1980. Yeah. Only negative five years before yours truly was about to be born. Yeah, yeah. I was only true. a twinkle and, uh, in my dad's eye. Yeah, that's true. You were uh, you were not even there hardly. Yeah. Um, and um, I was very young. I mean, as as we all know, I'm quite a bit older. I'm quite. I'm the elder member of the podcast, so I'm older than you. Um, so I was. Um, how old was I in May of 1980? I just had my birthday. Um, so I was six. Oh, okay, nice. Six brother, six years old. I can see six you. Go. I can see you sneaking into the. The theater. At six years old. Yeah, six year old watching Kevin Bacon yeah. get it on. You know what I mean? True. Yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe. Um, I do actually have a personal story about these movies that I'll tell at some point, but like they were like my, um, this was kind of like my gateway into horror movies. Like I was terrified of horror movies when I was a little, little kid. Um, yeah. But then once I discovered horror movies, like Friday the 13th was like the first horror movie that, it's probably one of the first horror movies that I watched, but it was like, I remember being terrified of the Friday the 13th movies. And then once I become a, became a horror fan, I love the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah. It's like this weird thing. Like I can remember being terrified of them and then loving them at the same time. Yeah. So it's weird. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that as we go down the, Oh, we will. We will. The, the rabbit hole of the Friday the 13th franchise. Uh, but you know, on that though, like actually this Friday the 13th was like the last kind of horror movies I watched. Like I watched all of them before, before I even watched any of these, which was crazy. Really? Yeah. So it wasn't until that I, so, you know, I'm pretty sure you're watching it the same way I am, which we got the shout factory 4k box set. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, I was going to ask you yeah. how you watched it. But yeah. that's exactly how I'm watching the Shot Factory. Bro, you have to, man. That, bro, that's okay. So, shout out to Shot Factory. They released the box set. What was it like a year or two yeah. ago? And I, me and you bought it at the it same was, time. No, it was more than that. It was probably three years ago. Yeah, three ago. years three ago. Or yeah. Years ago. We bought it at the same time. And it was fucking yeah. awesome because you got pretty much all the movies in like 4K scans. Yes. So, I mean, you got to watch it that way, brother. And of course, I, you know, me and Alice, we both watched the uncut version, of course. Uh, all right. So, we didn't even, so that's weird. Like, we're like on this, like, we're like horror brothers, like horror bros. Like, we yeah. didn't even talk about that. But yeah. of course, we watched the uncut version. Of course, you're going to watch the uncut version, of brother. We did. This is retro of course blood. We, we did. don't play around. Yeah. Even though I'll no, talk about we, we don't do cut shit on here. We will talk about the, the, the theatrical one, though, because that one is interesting in its own way. But let's it's get, hardly different. Yeah, but let's get into some of this uh, pro wrestling and, and metal. Yeah. Um, but so not, not a whole lot in the wrestling world going right now. Um, mm-hmm. We got Harley Race as the WWF champion, kind of doing his thing, or like Harley Race as the NWA champion. Sorry, doing his thing. Uh, but there's something I, I I found that I was I kind of want to talk about a little bit. Um, it actually was happening in New Japan. All right. 
around the 80s. And I, I want to bring this guy up because he is a pretty pom- prominent figure within the world of Japanese wrestling. And at this particular time, um, he actually won the uh, the WWF's Junior Heavyweight Champion. Like, he was a champion. And he was actually defending that Junior Heavyweight belt around the, the globe right now. And that is one uh, Tetsu Fujinami. Okay. All right. And we know Tetsuya Funanji actually went into the W Hall of Fame. I'm pretty sure that's the one that Ric Flair. Um, he, he did the whole speech about him getting to the Hall of Fame. But during mm-hmm. his um, career right here, basically he was traveling around the, the globe and defending the junior heavyweight title in different territories. And so they, they, they were kind of like dubbing this the Dragon Fever uh for for fans of japan so japanese fans at this time was doing dragon fever because this guy was just everywhere defending his belts and during this particular time may 9th 1980 they were also uh they were also doing um like junior heavyweights tournament at this time so you know how in japan that we hear about the the juniors tournament like the the best of the super juniors so Tetsunami mm. was kind of like the the uh, semi the founder of that because he would have these matches with a lot of like light heavy light heavyweights like uh, uh, talent around the world. So that's almost how they came up with the. Well, I don't know if they came up with the Super Juniors that way, but he definitely like, influenced uh, that that thinking and that Super Juniors or Juniors heavyweights could be like big headline attract uh, attractions in Japan mm. at this time. And uh, he was actually facing, on this date, May 9th, 1980, um, in the tournament and defending his belt against one Chavo Guerrero. All right? Ooh, now Chavo Sr. Yes, Chavo Sr. Not the Chavo Guerrero that you would see later on with Eddie Guerrero, but this would be, mm-hmm. I believe it was Eddie Guerrero's... Brother, Brother, right? brother, yes. I believe it was his brother, yes. Yeah, yeah, our younger brother. Eddie Guerrero was his younger brother. But Chavo Sr., he was a pretty... A prominent figure in light heavyweight wrestling action around this time too, because he he was one of the big stars that would go to different territories as well. Like he would go to Japan. Yeah. I mean, you you see him pop up in Japan. You would see him pop up in WWF, and you see him pop up in um, Dallas as well too. WCCW. So he was definitely yes. a prominent figure, and he was a damn good wrestler as well too. So. Oh hell yeah, it was, and 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 we did see Chavo Ju- Senior mm-hmm. in WWF for a while. That's right. You remember yes. that? Yeah, he was, he was coming Chavo out. Classic. Yeah, Chavo Classic coming out there. Yep, doing his thing. <laughs> that was pretty. That yeah, was great. That were the, that's yeah. when weren't they doing stuff with the Undertaker? I believe it was or something like that. I barely remember yeah. that, but um, I believe so. Yeah, but Chavo Classic what, came out with Chavo Junior. That was that was yeah, it was fantastic. So. So, you know, this uh, I just want to bring that up really quick, you know, just, it just, you know, obviously Japan is, is I think j- probably New Japan and most of Japan, even nowadays, except for maybe Nitro, I think, I think New Japan has always treated their junior heavyweight division or lighter heavyweight guys uh, a lot more, with a lot more respect than America has. Well... Yeah, but that makes sense though, right? Because most Japanese and Mexican wrestlers are lighter. Yes. So when they come here, they kind of have to do that because they're all like small compared to Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And especially in the 80s. Um, now it's a little bit different. You know, when you have like Finn Balor 
or Seth Rollins as a world champion. It's a little bit different, but, but back then, like if you weren't like, you know, six, five and 270 pounds, you can't be a world champion. You, you couldn't be important. So I think that the Japanese like really changed the way people thought and they paved the way for people like Shawn Michaels and even Bret Hart. Like, I don't know that Bret Hart would have been as big as he was if it hadn't been for people like Fujinami. Yeah. Yeah, like at least yeah, at least bringing some of that uh, uh, to the states, where you can yeah, see like, and even these lighter th- guys wrestle really well. Exactly, and even Bret Hart, I believe, said when Fujinami was inducted in the Hall of Fame, he's, he I think Bret Hart said, "I want to be the wrestler that Fujinami was," which I mean, like to me, I, I mean, like I can't even like I can't even I can't even like put like. I can't be hyperbolic to Bret Hart. Like Bret Hart is a god, as far as I'm concerned. Like he is like the god of pro wrestling. Like I, it doesn't get any better than Bret Hart. So for me, for for Bret Hart to say that I wish I was this guy, to me that's as high a praise as you can get. Yeah, to me, to be definitely. perfectly honest. You think our boy uh, Chavo Guerrero Classic was a big fan of uh, Friday the Thirteenth? He could have been. Yeah. He very well could have been. I'm pretty sure he was. I'm pretty sure you saw this at the late so. nine, the late night drive-in. Yeah, him and Fujinabi went to the drive-in to watch Friday the Thirteenth after yeah. their match. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see it. I can see it happening. So, what do you got going on in the metal? Man, metal. So there was a lot going on in 1980, and, and not a lot going on in 1980. Yeah. So <clears throat> 1980. So as we've talked about many times. <laughs> 1980 is like this weird transitional year. Yeah. So the metal that we love hadn't that didn't really exist yet, and the metal or the rock and roll, what you would call rock and roll music, I guess, from the 70s was starting to die out. So 1980 is this weird year that's got like half night, half 70s and half 80s. Yeah. Um. So we're looking at May 9th, 1980, and in New Haven, Connecticut. At the New Haven Coliseum, after we went to a matinee of Friday the 13th, we could catch Van Halen live on the Women and Children First Tour. So this is the third album, the third Van Halen album. So they released Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2, and then Women and Children First. And, you know, Van Halen was like one of the biggest bands in the world at this time. Um, there was nothing like this going on. And you got to consider, too, that, like, you know, all of this, like, music that people are listening to was, like, really kind of bombed by punk rock. You know, so you had the Ramones, the Clash, the Sex Pistols, all these bands that came out in the late 70s, which I love all that music, too. But they kind of, like, got rid of the technical aspect of, of music. And they kind of returned it to, like, the 1950s aspect of like the chugga chugga you know rock and roll four you know three chords you know three chords in the truth you know like the whole like um original rock and roll aspect to it but van halen was like one of those bands that came out of you know out of that scene as a success and you know they were on the tour on tour for the third album in 1980 um playing some amazing shows and they really like they were they would be like really like the forebearers for 
what we would think of as 80s hair metal. 80s hair metal didn't exist yet. It's 19 it's May of 1980. So this this doesn't exist yet. So that's yeah. what you got to consider is like there's no Molly Crew, there's no Poison, there's none of that none of that shit exists. No docking. None of that stuff exists. So you have Van Halen who's like who they're so far ahead of their time that they're like this almost like this hair metal band before there is hair metal. Like it's I don't even know how to put it into words. Like you kind of have to see it to understand it. Um, there are YouTube concerts from the women and children first tour, which we might post on Facebook. If we ever get out of Facebook jail. Yeah. yeah working um, but <laughs> yeah, you need to get a lawyer. We need a, <laughs> we need a retro blood lawyer to get us out oh, of that'd Facebook be awesome. jail. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how this happened. I don't know how we got locked up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure somehow. there's some good uh, horror movie lawyers out there. We can find. There's got to be like we have to have a lawyer that listens to us, right? Some some of you have to be a lawyer, yeah. That can help us get out of Facebook jail. But anyway, so Women and Children First was a good album. They opened with Romeo Delight, which was from uh, from um, uh, Women and Children First, and then they played all the classics all the way up to Ain't Talking About Love, which is one of my favorite Van Halen songs. And then the encore was, of course, You Really Got Me, which is their cover of the Kinks classic. Um, but yeah, so Van Halen was the biggest thing. If we were if we were doing this in 1980, Van Halen would probably be, Van Halen and ACDC were probably the biggest bands in the world to us, yeah. I would imagine, and Motorhead. Yeah, well, you know, Black Sabbath would have cre- uh, creeped in there. Yeah, but Ozzy had already left Black Sabbath at this yeah, point. That's true. I mean, Dio was there, and I love Dio, you know, so we might be going to see the Dio Black Sabbath, but, like, Ozzy wasn't there, so... We got Judas Priest doing their thing. Well, yeah, we got Judas Priest. Didn't Judas Priest release an album around this time, too? Yeah, I was going to talk about it, but it was in April, so we might just Mm -hmm. save it for, like, a 1980s release around April, because I want to do, like, a long-form album, because it's pretty great. You know, that's the one where they did the breaking, you're breaking the law, brother. Bring it along. Yeah, it's yeah. a great album. British Steel. Yeah, it's British. Um, yeah. But yeah, Jamie's crying. I mean, this is a great set list. I mean, yeah. I can, it's just amazing to be able to see a tour like this, like to see Van Halen in 1980. Yeah, you know, and they hard. only made it like the David Lee Roth Van Halen would only be alive for like five more years, four more years. You know, like yeah. up in 1985, Van Halen or uh, David Lee Roth would leave Van Halen. Yeah. And then Sammy Hagar would join, and, and and you know, and I will fight anyone who argues with me about this. But you know, I I love Van Hagar. Like you know, Van Van Halen after Sammy Hagar joined is my favorite Van Halen. But this is a good era of Van Halen, though. Um, yeah. And you know, they would be the biggest band in the world for about three more, three or four more years, and then other they would have to adapt and. Yep. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What change are your up a little bit. What are your yeah? What, so, do you, what do you? How do you feel about the Van Halen? I don't know. Like, I never like researched too much of Van Halen before. I knew the name pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't really have that many thoughts on. I just never really like gave them that much of a listen to. To be honest with you, uh, I know they're one of the biggest bands and stuff, but I just I don't know. I just never got into it. So maybe I'll start listening to some of it and. Give my uh, yeah, true should. opinion. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna BS over here on the retro blood, brother. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> we're not. We're not full of shit at the yeah, retro I just, blood. I just. I'm as real as it gets. 
Yeah, I mean, like, we talked about him before in the past. I just didn't, I just been listening to other stuff. Like, you know, sure. yesterday when I was in the car, I was doing some, uh, you know, cause we, I was driving back from Charlotte and mm-hmm. went out to this horror con. All right. Oh, I, I, I maybe we can about talk, that, about, yeah. talk about that maybe a little later. Mm-hmm. But I was playing a lot of 80s stuff and I was just like, fuck, man, this Duncan, man, they're just, they're a great band. <laughs> I was playing yeah, I mean, like that's, had some Cinderella in the background. I was all, but I was doing all the hairs, all the man, hair I'm bands. all about Cinderella, dude. Like Cinderella, like I could do a TED talk on Cinderella. Like yeah. Cinderella is one of those bands that, like, they if they had not come out and been labeled as a hair metal band, they yeah. would have been one of the biggest bands in the world. But yeah, like, but if you look at Dokken though, like, let's look at Dokken. So yeah. Dokken, I mean, I love Dokken too. Like we've all we've had that conversation. We bond over Dokken. Like, yeah, I love Dokken, but like Dokken has the Van Halen formula, right? Yeah. It has like the frontman, the charismatic frontman, the <coughs> oh, I coughed. Sorry, the uh, badass lead guitar player. Yep, you know the bass player and the drummer. I mean, like Van Halen. I mean, they have the Van Halen formula. You know, and they kind of took the reins after Van Halen, and like you know, became something else. Like once Sammy Hagar joined Van Halen became something else. And I love that too. I love, I mean, personally, I love that more, but you know, I love that too. But you know, Van Halen became, it became not David Lee Roth and other bands had to step up. And Doc was one of those bands that stepped up and, and did that. Yeah. But you know, Van Halen, they were still selling out tours past the eighties too. So they've been, yes. I mean, they would still be selling out tours now if, um, if you know Eddie Van Halen was still alive, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean Van Halen was one of the biggest bands of all time. Definitely, definitely. Speaking of stuff of the biggest of all time, let's get into the who booked this shit for the original Friday yes. the Thirteenth, brother. I mean, yes, you talk about one of shit. the most recognized franchise or recognized movie in all of horror movie and of all of I could say of movies as well too. Would definitely be this one. Of course, it was directed and produced by Sean S. Cunningham. It was -hmm. written by Victor Miller. Yep. And a couple things about this uh, Sean guy, Cunningham. Sean Cunningham. He he actually, he's a pretty interesting guy because... He is. I didn't realize that he actually did a lot of, like, movies in the 70s before he even got the Friday the 13th. Like, I always pictured this guy, okay, he, he, he... He was like one of those. He was kind of like a like a carpenter kind of guy. You know what I mean? He just his first movie was like his his big hit. You know, mm. kind of like that. But no, he actually did a bunch of stuff. And I didn't realize that our boy Sean over here actually worked with Russ Quaven on the Last House on the Left. Yeah, so you didn't know that. I I'm I might have I just didn't remember that. You know. Well, I mean, I'm not yeah. I'm not coming down on you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not coming down on you there. I'm just saying that so yeah, so basically he produced Last House on the Left for yeah. Wes Craven. And then he did Friday the thirteenth. He did a bunch of other movies too though. Yeah. Um that aren't necessarily horror films. Yeah. Um but yeah. What's interesting about him too is I didn't realize he did those house movies too, which we'll probably be doing later. He did the, on here. Yeah, he did the house movies. Yeah, and I thought that was pretty cool. And it looks like like he, I don't think he came back to the Friday the Thirteenth series until Jason Goes to Hell. Am I it, correct? Yeah, exactly. You so, are correct in that. So he basically did. 
Sean Cunningham is an interesting guy. So, and I think that a lot of people feel like if you make a horror movie, then you have to love horror movies. And I don't know that Sean, Sean Cunningham loved horror movies. I think Sean Cunningham liked things that were successful things he could sell. Um, and you know, like Friday the 13th was something he could sell, but he went on to make house and house Two. He produced house and house Two. He also produced this movie called deep star six that I really like a lot that we might do eventually. Uh, the horror show, which is a great film in 1989. Um, so he's produced a lot of good movies. Um, and he directed this one, but he's, he's, I, to me, he's more known as a producer than he is a director. Yeah. And I didn't realize he did the, the remake 2009 and he did the remake of the last house of left too. So that's pretty interesting. He, yeah, he produced them, right? Yeah, produced them, yeah. Yeah. So, a couple things. So, like I was saying at the beginning, so, I, the the reason this movie probably even got greenlit or made was because of the success of John Carpenter's Halloween. Absolutely. And you can see a lot of the elements in this Friday the 13th, but I thought Friday the, thir- uh, Friday the 13th did a little bit more... Like, like uh, I wouldn't say raunchy, but like they did a little bit more like experimental stuff. Like you saw like half these girls were hanging out in their underwear. You know what I mean? It's not like a campsite. It's not in a house. It's a little bit more, I don't know. It's just a little bit more like rock and roll than, than like Halloween was. You know what I mean? Because Halloween we had like these nice school girls going to their house. You know, they're having like this kind of like not even that wild of a party. You know what I mean? It's it, it very simple. The, the, the formats were similar, but I think the characters were a little bit more, I would say a little bit more like realistic, maybe in Friday the 13th. Okay. Yeah. You so I, mean? I, you mean they're more li- realistic in Friday the 13th than mm-hmm. Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to mention that as we talked about the movie, but one of the things that I noticed about the movie watching it this time under maybe a more critical eye is that it looks very real. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like the murders and things like that. And like the, the Tom Savini's uh, effects and things like that, but it's like people in a lot of ways act the way they would in real life, not in a movie. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Like the counselors, like parts of that. Yes, like for example, like the scene, and I, we'll talk about this when we get into the movie in more depth. But like the scene where like Kevin Bacon and his girlfriend are about to have sex, and she's taking off her clothes. So like she takes off her pants, and like it pulls like part of her underwear down, and then she pulls them back up. Like that's that's real. Like yeah. that's something that could really happen, and probably would really happen. Whereas in Friday the third. I mean, in a Halloween, they probably would have reshot that to where it looks perfect. You know, like she pulls her pants off and then she takes her underwear off or whatever, and it looks perfect the way we want it to look. It just looks like it's it's almost like you're watching through the window, like you're a voyeur or something, like yeah. watching through the window. It just looks very real, and that's one of the things that I love about this movie is that it just it looks very real and realistic. Yes. 
So apparently uh, Cunningham, he also, so he put out like an advertisement to sell the film in Variety in early 1979. So yeah. while Miller was still drafting the screenplay, after casting the film in New York City, filming took place in New Jersey. In the summer of 1979, brother, on an e- this is crazy right here, on an estimated <laughs> budget of $5,000, uh, wait, $550,000. Uh, which yes. is like, which is like crazy to see how much this movie has done over time on that fucking low budget, which is crazy. Right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's absurd, yes. right? I mean, I mean, obviously they spent more money in that in advertisement later on. In fact, they spent as much as the movie cost advertising and after it became a hit. Yeah. But yeah, you're looking at five hundred thousand dollars for a movie that's that's grossed like sixty million dollars. Yeah. Which is crazy. That I mean, was only, that's, a, that, that's a success on any. Yeah, that was like the box. Yeah, and that was like almost like it yeah. on its release time. Mm-hmm. So a bidding war ensued over the finish finishing film, ending with Paramount Pictures acquiring the film from domestic disputers, while Warner Brothers secured international dis- uh, distribution rights. So big, two big, yeah. uh, two big players got this film on there. So, and I believe the the Paramount because it, it isn't Shout Factory, isn't that like um, owned by Paramount? I believe it is. So let's say Paramount. It still could owns, be. Yeah, I think I think it is. Paramount still still pretty much owns the rights to the to the series. That's probably why it's been kind of like ice cold for a little while. So yeah, I mean, Shout Factory is a is a company that's really good at making other companies work together. Yeah. Like when they made their Halloween box set, like some like one company owned the rights to some of the movies, another company owned the rights to the other movies. They're really good that's at right. making them. All work together. Yeah, all come together. Um, Correct. Yeah, to make money, but um, but yeah. So what I had heard Sean Cunningham say um, is that originally he didn't have a story or anything. He had a title, and someone said we should make a movie called Friday the Thirteenth, and he's like, I can sell that, and they made a poster, basically a poster, which would be the ad, and they would put an ad in Variety. For, you know, coming one year from now, Friday the 13th, and they had no story, no nothing. Yeah. Which I think is amazing. Like, it's amazing that he that he would have the vision to be able to say that I have no story, but you're going to love this thing that yeah. we're going to create. So apparently he wanted the, the movie to be a kind of like a roller coaster ride. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Up and down, scares. And I thought it's interesting that he wanted to distance himself from the last house on the left. Which uh, he kind of did in a way. Yeah, it kind of b- built his own his own. Well, you know, because obviously that movie, and then of course Nightmare on Elm Street would make Wes Craven like a huge, you know, director. Star, yes, absolutely. So you know, this guy wanted to do his own thing. He doesn't want to be known for like, hey, I made that weird Last House of Le- Left movie. I want to do my other stuff too. Yeah. So Last House on the Left, though, um, I don't want to veer too off too much off in a tangent, but. Last House on the Left is an exception in that it's so dark. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to watch. Like, you have to be like, I mean, honestly, I mean, you kind of have to be like a fucked up guy like I am to be able to watch that movie a lot. Because it's, it's, it's really fucked up. Yeah. It's really fucked up if you think about it. Um, and, and I could see how he would want to get away from that. And Friday the 13th is nothing like that. Oh, yeah, no. Like, Friday the 13th is like a kid's movie compared to like last house on the left oh yeah definitely definitely for sure 
Um, so I could see that. I, that makes perfect sense to me. So the original screenplay was titled A Long Night at Camp Blood. Say that not ten times. Yeah, not as good. So while working on a redraft of the screenplay, Cunningham proposed the title Friday the 13th, which is way better. Mm. After which Miller began redeveloping. So Cunningham rushed out to place an advertisement Friday, like we said, using the Friday the 13th title. Worried that someone else owned the rights to the title and wanted to avoid potential lawsuits. Cunningham thought it would be best to find out immediately. He commissioned a New York advertising agency to develop his concept of the Friday the 13th logo, which obviously is the, consists of the big black lettering bursting through a plane of glass, yeah. which we saw at the beginning. Right. So, in the end, Cunningham believed there were no problems with the title, but distributor George uh, Mansour stated... There was a movie before ours called Friday the 13th, The, the Orphan. It was, Marty, it was yeah. like semi-successful, but someone still threatened to sue. Either Phil paid them off, but it was financially uh, resolved. So it was resolved over so, the time. Yes, but why didn't they just try to... like? So he makes it sound like they're like, well, let's put it out there and see if anybody sues us. Yeah. But why didn't they just try to copyright the name? Maybe it was a different time. Yeah. I don't know. But, like, why didn't they just try to copyright the name for the movie? Like, I don't understand that, why they wouldn't do that. Yeah, I don't know. It just It's probably just, like, the way to do copyrights is, like, probably like a little harder back in the day. Because it's not like Maybe. you just go on the internet. Because Al Gore didn't create it no, yet. Well, tr so. True. That's true. Whereas, so, like, with us, we can just copyright our shit on the internet right now. Yeah, exactly. So the screen the screenplay was completed in mid 1979 by Victor Miller, who later went on to write for several television soap operas, <laughs> including One Life to Live and All My Children. Yeah, yeah. can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> we got we had some like, drama sure. on here, brother. You know what I mean? We had Steve. We did have some drama. With a shirt off, half the movie. You know, trying to get in, trying to get in the pants of Alice. Yeah, that's kind. Of, there's a little drama like, going on here. The first thing I think of when I hear that, though, is like, all of a sudden, in One Life to Live, there's like a serial killer that's like starting to kill like all the girls on the show. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? He's Victor Miller was a writer. You know, he was paid to write this movie and he wrote it. He was paid to write One Life to Live and he wrote that. But like, it's just funny for me to think about that. I think it's hilarious. So apparently, there was some. Uh little bit of a, uh, I was not too much drama here. Maybe like a little drama, but apparently Miller. So, so when 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 they were making the film, Miller's like it was. He wanted to make it the serial killer who turned out to be somebody's mother. So he, he that was his idea Ooh. making the, the the mom the killer. So okay, so we're gonna go there. All right. So we were. I was gonna talk about that before the show. So we're gonna just spoil who the killer is, but that's all right. Okay, I if you it. haven't seen this fucking movie yet, I don't know what to tell you. Okay, a lot of people have maybe haven't seen this. Like some people name may have seen this, but all right, uh, I I, well, I can't name anyone who hasn't seen it that's probably gonna watch it. <laughs> but all right, fine, all right, fine. So yeah, the mom's the mom's the killer. Jason's not in this. Well, but um, yeah, well, he, he wasn't it, but it was just like a different. It is different. Like it's pretty much like right, the right. the beginning. You could tell us it's kind of like the beginning of like a franchise in a way. Even though I don't know if they actually yeah. meant that to happen. All right, they but, didn't. So yeah. 
from my understanding is they didn't they so victor miller's script ended when um adrian king's character alice is in the boat and they come to rescue her and that's where the movie ended and then tom savini's idea was to add on the whole ending section that we'll talk about yeah so the idea of jason appearing at the end of the film was not initially not using original script and Miller's final job, the film ended with, like you said, Alice merely floating on the lake. Jason's yes. appearance was actually su- suggested by Tom Savinia, Sa- Savini. And he stated that the whole reason for the cliffhanger at the end was I had just seen Carrie. So we thought that we needed a chair jumper like that. And I said, let's bring in Jason. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, technically, so like, of- that was a good idea to do because he, like, saved, you know... I think I think it worked. Kind of. I guess we could talk I about mean, that it, it, at it the end. Work. I mean, we'll talk about that when we get there, I'm sure, and we'll argue about it. But, I mean, yeah, so Carrie ends with them going to the grave of Carrie, and then her hand jumps up out of it and gives you a jump scare at the end. Um, and so the, he wanted to create that for Friday the 13th because we didn't have an ending like that. Um but you know you got to consider too at the same time is like we're not looking at sequels really. Yeah. They're None of these making... people are thinking about Friday Thirteenth Part Two. They were just like, oh, let's make this movie, let's make as much money as we can, and then we'll move on to the next movie. Yeah. To be honest with you. So speaking of Zabinia, so he was hired because what he did in George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Check that out in the archives. Yeah. Better Retro Blood. Check it out. We just talked about it. Yeah, just talked about it. Yeah, Savini's design. He can he contributed to the crafting effects of the axe scene, the arrow scene, and of course the slitting the throat scene, which is crazy because I'm pretty sure most of those didn't happen in the theatrical version. You know, because like, no, they all did. They all happened there. Okay, because so, I remember the theatrical yeah, version had so, a lot more. Like it didn't show as much. It was like a quick. Like they were cut oh, a lot of kind scenes. of. So, I mean, the theatrical version and the unrated version are 11 seconds difference. Yeah. I mean, so the difference in those two versions are they linger on the dead bodies a little bit longer by a second or two. But, like, it's really the same movie. I mean, it's 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 barely, barely any different. But it does show um, Savini's effects a little bit better, um, the unrated version. Yes. So I'm not gonna get into the whole cast, even though the big one that stand out to me was Kevin Bacon. Of course, the uh, I really like this Kevin Bacon guy because have you ever seen the show The Following? I have. Okay, so I love that fucking show. I thought that was like a very creative, it's a great show. Show at the time with him like going after that like cult Edgar Allan Poe killer and shit. He killed yes. his wife and he couldn't prove it and shit. I, there's a that shit was wild, man. That was a wild show, and he's still doing it, man. This Kevin Bacon guy is still acting like he he had that new he had that Peacock show that was about him. Like I don't I don't I don't know what I haven't seen it yet, but it looked pretty good, like they them or something like that. So he's still out so, there doing his thing. He is. <laughs> he is. So this is like one of those things that like makes it. I, I guess it like the difference between you and I as far as like it's like to hear you say like this Kevin Bacon guy is still going like yeah I mean Kevin Bacon is one of the greatest actors of all time to me 
Like he's like I think he's an amazing actor. Yeah. I mean that would be like like what you just said was like be be like saying like you know that Robert De Niro guy he's a pretty good actor he's still back there today. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad. You know what I mean? He like does, he does fucking Kevin Bacon he was in Footloose. I mean what the fuck? I mean he was in Footloose. He was in a million like 1980s movies. I mean there's even a game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon that are based around like Kevin Bacon's career. Yeah. But he started here. In Friday the Thirteenth, can you believe that? Not in this movie enough. It's just but wild, he was bro. fantastic. He was great. Yeah, it's weird to think that he was, uh, but he start, that he started in this movie. Well, now. we talked about that before on a couple of our past episodes of like we have big time celebrities starting out in horror. I mean, we had Johnny Depp, yes. you know, in Friday the, and yep. Nightmare on Elm Street. You know what I mean? Absolutely. We have uh, um, you know Kevin Bacon over here. You know, Laurie Strode obviously started off mm-hmm. in in uh, Halloween, and yeah. um. The I always forget this guy's name, but he was in Natural Born Killers. What was that guy's name? Um, Woody Harrelson. Yeah, Woody Harrelson. He was in yeah uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Four, I believe. Okay, so uh, you know, okay. like we always thought that these big time, you know, actors come from a lot of them come from like their first movies are in horror movies, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. So. But something I want to talk about here too is the iconic sound. Yes. The uh, the chipper chur or the cha cha cha, whatever you call that shit. <laughs> how did you how did you explain it? The cha cha cha. You probably <laughs> you probably heard out our intro shit. What? That's the iconic fucking Jason sound. He comes in, well. <laughs> It is. But you're it's right, funny that like, it, it, it's, it's supposed to be. That tipped me off. Oh, we know what's crazy about it, though. It's supposed to be the Jason sound, but he didn't originally use it, brother. He stole it from his mom. Right. So, okay. yeah, the. Ch- 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 yeah. That. Yeah. 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 The chipper. Yeah, brother, that's yeah we'll call it the chipper sound. The chipper sound. sound. I, like, I like that. Um, but, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, that was supposed to be. So, Henry Manfredini wrote this the soundtrack to this. So I think the soundtrack to this sounds very much like the soundtrack to uh, Psycho. Yeah. Like it sounds like a Bernard Herrmann soundtrack. Um, and, um, but yeah, the, like, that's like a very, like, that's like the Friday the 13th sound, right? Like, that's yeah, iconic. That's like, it's iconic sound, yes. Yeah, it's amazing that you would create this iconic sound, but. But um, if I'm not mistaken, he when he did that, he wanted to. He was trying to say like, um, a "killer, killer mommy" is like what he was trying yeah, to like, like yeah. kind of. Yeah, kinda killer like, mommy. Yeah, art, art, yeah, articulate in this like, like sound that he was doing. Like I don't. Know, I guess you have to see the movie, but should have watched the movie by now. Is one thing. But uh, so I didn't realize this, but apparently mm. he he came up with the idea. From Jaws, mm. because that makes sense. That because makes sense. because he, you know, he read the, when he read the script, trying to make the music for it. You know, the mom doesn't show up until the end of the film, but we had to establish right. there's a killer around this presence. So kind of sure. like how Jaws was, we don't see the shark until close to the end. We have to yes. create a suspenseful sound to make to make you know there's danger there. Right, so that's yeah. interesting that you would say that because in Jaws that existed because the shark prop didn't work. Yeah, like they had a mechanical shark that they were trying to use and it didn't work. So they use so John Williams created that dun dun 
dun, dun, sound for the sh- that represented the shark because they couldn't show an actual shark because they couldn't get the mechanical shark to work. But they took that and the, uh, Henry, Henry Manfred, Manfredini took that and used it for this movie to show the killer, even though the killer's not really there. It, it's brilliant, really. I mean, it and it just shows you like the power of music to me. Like it just shows you how powerful music and important music is to to a movie. Yeah, definitely. So, which is co- which is also interesting about Friday the Thirteenth too, was in the year that it came out, nineteen eighty, it was the eighteenth highest grossing film of that year. But it was facing some uh, competition, as in The Shining, Dressed to Kill, The Fog, and Prom Night. So. And it was like, so of the 17 films distributed by Paramount in 1980, only one airplane returned more profits than Friday the 13th. So out of Paramount, this is their highest grossing film besides Airplane in 1980, which is crazy for a big ass studio like that. Based on what it cost. Yeah, based on what it cost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense, right? Because it costs like $500,000 to make. Yeah. And then they, it made like sixty million dollars, uh, but yeah. So it so like two. So this is May the 9th. So May the twenty fifth, around Memorial Day weekend, was Empire Strikes Back came out. So you got to think about that. So yeah. Like this movie played for like two weeks, and then the second the the Star Wars sequel came out. Yeah, and I remember, I do remember this like specifically being like a little kid. And waiting on that Star Wars sequel. That was like the biggest thing in the world. Oh, yeah, definitely. As far as I was concerned. So, um, so yeah. So, I mean, you got to consider that like this movie played for two weeks or three weeks. And then the biggest movie that had ever existed came out. Yeah. So, you know, like most of the move money that it made, probably it probably made in that three weeks. Yeah. Two. That two or three weeks before it happened. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's, you know, it's still kind of playing when Empire came came on the screen, but it's definitely oh, sure a back, it, was. it definitely was a background player when that happened. Yeah. Anybody that could get Empire was like, okay, we'll drop this Friday the 13th movie to get Empire. I'm yeah. sure. But you know, especially the theaters that couldn't get it, were like, yeah, we'll kiss keep playing Friday the 13th, I guess, because. Kids are coming to see this shit. Um, but yeah. Great. Yeah, definitely. And then I do want to talk before we get into the full review about Jason's mommy. Played by Jason the great mommy. played by the great Betsy Palmer. I have a story about that too. <laughs> Go ahead. But yeah, so J- so Betsy Palmer. I met Betsy Palmer. Oh, okay, nice. And um so I met Betsy Palmer at a convention like a lot of us have. And I, she was sitting at a table like they always are at conventions. And I kind of walked up to her table and I saw her sitting there. And this was probably in the 2000s or late 90s. It was in the 2000s. And she was sitting at her table and she looked basically the same as she did in that movie. Um, although she, you know, obviously older, but she looked basically the same. And like I, I saw her sitting there, and like um, I was kind of like not walking up to her table. I was kind of like looking at her from a distance or whatever. And she like talked to me. She's like, "Hey, how are you doing?" And like I walked up to her at that point, and I'm like, 
like I gotta admit to you, I gotta I gotta admit, like you scare the shit out of me. <laughs> and like it was terrifying, like because I'd never seen her in anything else. Like I'd only seen her Friday the thirteenth. Yeah. And now I'm seeing this lady and that's in Friday the thirteenth. And like, you know, I'm like in my thirties or whatever, and like this lady's like scaring the shit out of me. And she just laughed and like she was really she was super nice. She was a super nice lady. But like I'm just like, you know, like you scare the shit out of me. Yeah. And she just she loved it. She thought it was hilarious. Um, but she's a super nice lady. Yeah, and apparently I didn't realize that she uh, dated James Dean before. I didn't know that either. So she was she dated James Dean. Yeah, and she was on this show that I watched before uh, called Penny Dreadful, which is pretty sweet. She's in that. I've yeah. never seen that show, but I did not know that. Yeah, but she was apparently like a really like she was like a big time actor. Like she was yeah. like the only person in that movie that had actually done like real act. Well, that's not true. So the guy that played Enos was also like a big time actor, but he had a really small part in this movie. Um, but she was like a big deal in acting and they were able to get her for this movie. Um, but mostly she had done like mostly like theater and stuff like that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly theater, T- a lot of TV made for TV movies around that time. Um, yeah. But like, you know, her uh, her horror stuff kind of comes from Friday the Thirteenth and a little bit of Penny Dreadful stuff too. So pretty pretty uh pretty wild. I thought she did crazy in this movie too. Definitely definitely a fun one. So, but everybody, I say let's get into the full review of the original Friday the Thirteenth. Let's do it. <laughs> Hello? Who's that? Oh, hi. What are you doing out in this mess? One. See it once. 
but that will be enough. Friday, the 13th. Alright, so we start off, and we're at the famous Camp Crystal Lake, brother. Mm. And it is the year 1958. It is. So we're not in the 1960s, we're not in the 1950s, no, we're in 1958. Yeah. What a wild time, brother. You know what I mean? What a wild time. Is Elvis around this time? Is he going crazy? He was. He was. There you go, brother. Elvis was a big deal at this time. He should have made a guest appearance on... Uh, right they should have had elvis for uh friday the 13th yeah he should have been a character so we had these uh, counselors are like singing a song all right so yes but you know the song i want to talk about the i yeah i knew knew you were gonna bring this up and this is one of one of those things where i'm that i'm a nerd about but so the song they're singing is a song called michael row your boat ashore which is actually I know it's going to be hard for you to believe, but one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh, is there a metal version? Of yes. It? There's no metal version of it as far as I know, mm-hmm. but it is a very old Southern song. Um, it's a slave song. Um, it originated in the, on the coast of South Carolina. And basically the song that they're singing, which it's weird to see a bunch of like, you know, white bread, like white people singing this song. Yeah. But I guess like in, it was made popular in the mid fifties. So it fits this timeline, um, as a folk song, but it was written and recorded or not recorded, but like sang by, um, I mean, enslaved people, um, about, um, the song itself is about, it's talking about how we're like trying to cross this river, right? It's tr- we're trying to cross this river and it, the river is really hard and it's making our lives really hard. But when we get across to the other side of the river, everything's going to be great and we're going to have everything we need and, and life is going to be beautiful. And basically what the song is about is, is it's about slavery. It's about, you know, we're, we're enslaved people and we're, you know, our lives are really terrible right now, but when we die, we're going to go across to, to heaven and heaven is going to be a beautiful place. And like, I think the song is, is beautiful in the way it's written. Um, some of the first music that I ever loved was gospel music, um, especially like black gospel music, um, which I got from my dad. My, my dad really loves that kind of stuff. Um, and it was like the first music I ever heard. And this song is one of those songs that I heard. And, and I think that it's beautiful in its sadness. Um, in that, that it, you know, it's about these people who are in a hopeless situation, but when they die, they will go on to this, you know, great, this great future, they're, yes. they're this great land that they're going to live in. And I think that, that it shows how, um, what's the word I'm looking for? How, like, like you're in a situation that's so dire that death is something that you wish for, and it could because you'll move on to this beautiful place. Um, but yeah, I, I, and when I would do 
um, acoustic shows, like when I used to play shows live, I would always do this song because it was to me, it's just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. Um, uh, yes. and to see these like white, white ass people singing, it's kind of weird, but well, you know, um, but, yeah. uh, you know, for such a deep, passionate song, you know, our boy, uh, Barry, yeah. he was the one singing it, you know, he, he was basically yeah. used the song to get some ass. Yeah, I know. And it's kind of shitty that this song, this beautiful, beautiful song, uh, this desperation, the song of desperation. Or maybe he was desperate to get some situation. ass. He was. He was definitely desperate to get some ass. And mm. I can relate to that. <laughs> you know, I can relate to that. I can relate to using uh, music you, in any situation to be able to get some ass. Like, that, yes, I had the concert. True. Like, yeah, that's why I'm doing it. So yeah, Barry yeah, is the guy singing, I, I can, the, doing the song, and, and then Claudia. So they're both like these uh, camp counselors. They are. All right. And they're shitty camp counselors. Yes. So they sneak off. We find out. So they sneak off to go have some sex, brother. All right. <laughs> in some sort of hidden area of the cabin. And yeah. something that this movie does a lot is I call it the first person view. Where you like, it shows like you're kind of like hiding, like you're basically watching through like the killer's eyes. They did that. Po- the the one that did it the most popular was in the first Halloween, where you know we're going through like the young Michael Myers' eyes, walking up the stairs. True. You know, I'm pretty sure they used that in more movies, but that's the one that comes to my mind. I was mind. thinking of Jaws, but yes, Jaws they did that. used yeah. that one too. Mm. So we had that in the background, and the kids get caught having sex. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, you know, we weren't doing anything wrong. And then eventually the, the killer attacks him, kills the boy. And then he then the killer attacks uh, young uh, Claudette as well. And they both get murdered inside the cabins. Mm-hmm. So that's when we finally go to present day. Where present day was Friday the 13th. Even though, like, we found out that the Friday the 13th actually didn't have a week from when we're actually watching the film, but it says Friday the 13th, present day on there. Whatever. So whatever. It's fine. So Annie is, the, we meet Annie. She's a young 80s uh, uh, teen walking around. She's trying. Yes. She goes into this town, folks. She's like, hey, anybody seen that Crystal Lake place? They all look at her weird. <laughs> and uh, they're all like, oh, why do you want to go to the, the, the Crystal Lake? She's like, oh, I need, a, I need a ride over there. And they all look kind of shocked because they know the history behind it. <laughs> so they yeah. have this truck driver named Enos is going to drive her to mm. the place. And that's... So, the, go ahead. One thing I think about this... Mm-hmm. this the, the, I think is funny in this. So, like, she goes into the, to the diner, right? Yeah. And then she's like, she's talking about, like, Camp Crystal Lake and the lady there is like, you mean Camp Blood? Oh, yeah, Camp Blood. And then, like, talking about, you know, all the terrible things that happen. And then Enos is like, okay, I'll take you. Yeah, like, take he you. just gets up from, like, his meal. Like, he doesn't pay for his meal. He doesn't yeah. finish his meal. He just gets up and he takes her to the camp. Well, yeah, brother. Which you know I mean? weird. He was booked. What did you expect? He was, he was booked. We got to get this going. All right. So, before they can get into his, like, oil truck. Uh, this yes. is where we meet Ralph, crazy Ralph, and he, crazy Ralph, and he is a very interesting character because so he is basically like, hey, if you go here, you're gonna die, you're doomed. Don't go there; it's camp blood. You're gonna die. And then, yes. he, and he just like gets on his bike and wanders off. So, He's if great. I'm not mistaken, is this the first movie that had the warning guy in it? 
Like the warning guy, I mean, has if you in, don't like... count Scooby Doo, yes. Okay. So <laughs> Ralph is a Scooby Doo character. Yes. <laughs> in, in a way, he really is. He's a Scooby Doo character. Yeah. But he's like, you're gonna die. You're gonna die if you go he's, there. He's Can't that bread. guy. You're he's doomed. that guy. Yeah. Yeah, but and and he's not wrong. Like Ralph might be crazy, but he's not wrong. You know, they they did all die. Yeah. Um but yeah, like this is like I'm trying to think. I mean, there's probably a movie that happened before this, and I'm sure somebody out there that listens to the show will tell us what it is. Um but there's some, there is I'm sure there's some show that ha- the movie that happened before this. But but yeah, he's the you're gonna die guy, right? Like he he's the like only the, guy that knows be, what's yeah. going on. Yeah, he has to be the most famous though. You know what I mean? The most famous yeah, warning. I sure. know what's going on, guy. But the way the, yep. the, the, but the way they positioned him was to make him kind of look like the killer in a way. So. Yeah, of course. So they get back in the truck and they basically blow Ralph. You know, like, ah, oh, this guy's a nuisance. Don't listen to him. So this is when we, uh, we, we, so we hear that there's this guy named Steve Chrisley, and he is mm-hmm. basically he renov- he's he's done renovations on Camp Crystal Lake because Camp Crystal Lake has been closed since 1958. Now they didn't really give us like a time period that we're in. I, I assume it's like a couple years. I assume it's the 80s, but I'm not exactly sure. Well, I guess no. What? It's it's 1979. It's 1979. Yes. When yeah. when so no. So they they sent they say that in 1958 they had these kids that were killed. Yeah, they closed it. But then Enos tells says that in 1962, yeah, something else happened. The water the water was re- bad. The water was bad. Right. Yeah. The water was bad, and they've never reopened it since then. Yeah. So this is the first time they've tried to reopen it since 1962. Yeah. And then he was all like, "So did he like tell you what was going on in this place?" And she was like, no. No. He's like, well, okay, well, then he goes on. It's like, you know, well, we had this kid drowned there before in 1957. Then the, these murders happened in 1958. These two counselors got killed. And then they tried to open it up in 1962, but there was, like, bad water going on. So, like, yeah. in, in Eno's view, like, this Christie guy's just throwing his money away because like, a money pit because it just the, he thinks the place is cursed. It's just a cursed place. There's all this tragedy up here. Nobody's tried to rebuild it or reopen it. And he just took like, his money pit. And he's like, you know, I, yeah. if I were you, like, I would just quit. Like, I wouldn't even go there. And then it's like, well, I can't quit, you know, because I'm a go-lucky teen. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I, I can't quit because this yeah. is the world to me, right? And Anna, her job is she was the cook. She was going to make, yes. like, all these fucking kids a bunch of food and shit. Yeah, and her. I mean, she, she never makes it to the camp, but yes. yeah, she, she, she. I wonder if she would have been a better cook than the one from Sleepaway Camp. Probably, yes. probably, if she'd gotten the chance. So now I thought this part was a little funny. It was. We see that we have like this like random like country music playing in the background. So this was great, and we see two <laughs> two guys and a girl, and like I haven't seen this movie in a while. And I flip it, and I was like, oh, fuck, that's Kevin Bacon. I totally forgot he yeah. was in this fucking movie as Jack. So he's there. Jack. We have Jack on there. They're all driving around, probably doing some weed and shit. Uh, who else do we have? I think well, it, was, they, it was Brenda they, they, and Ned, <laughs> I believe, right? Yeah. 
quote unquote they do weed in in the truck as yeah. they're driving but yeah. yeah they're doing the weed but yeah so it is weird it is weird to see like like you can't we can't watch it in 1980s eyes really because we know who kevin bacon is yeah no but like if we'd watched it in 1980s eyes this would have just dude. been some yeah. unknown actor yeah it's been some dude yeah some dude. but now when we watch you're like holy shit that's kevin bacon i know it's crazy um, like but yeah, so back. they're, uh, as you say, uh, doing weed in the truck as they're driving to the camp. You know what? Um, you know what also happened to me recently too. And this is a little hint. Uh, what? This is a little hint yeah. for our um, for our retro bud shorts. Was when I yeah. saw fucking um, uh, uh, oh fuck, the name just killed me. Uh, when we saw uh, Henry Calvo, Cavill in fucking Hellraiser. Yeah. Hellbound, I was, in 2006, I was like, what the fuck is wow. he doing in here? <laughs> so This guy's a real actor. What is he doing yeah, making a Hellraiser fuck movie? Is, yeah. But, you know, like, it's just crazy. Sometimes it's just crazy to see, like, young actors, like, you know what I mean? In, yeah, like, horror films. Yeah. And you go back and watch them, like, what? what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> so they go by um, they go by the famous sign, the three kids, the Welcome mm-hmm. to Camp Crystal Lake, which that sign is iconic. You see it everywhere. Every horror movie convention pretty much has... A welcome to Camp Crystal Lake sign at them. So it's probably mm. one of the most iconic symbols within the horror genre. So now it, this is yeah. when we meet uh, Steve. Steve Chrisley. He's Steve, like the guy. Eve. Who? Eve? Steve. Yeah, I said Steve. I, I know. I'm agreeing with you. Oh, okay. I thought you said Eve. I was like. No, Steve. I thought he's alter ego or something. Well, anyway, this guy. This guy, like, he's like. I'm just gonna have my shirt off the whole time. Okay, he had the fucking shirt off. He actually looked like somebody from Scooby Doo too. This guy had a shirt off and stuff, little red bandana by him, cutting down a tree. Alright, this is when everybody introduces each other. They all help him out yes. with a stud. And they're all like, you know, we're just getting everybody introducing to himself. And we find out that there's another person here. There's two other people here, name is Bill and this girl named Alice. So we have two more yes. people in, in the in the So we're basically meeting all the characters right now. And Steve is clearly fucking Alice. Well, well, trying to at least. Or at least he used to. <laughs> no, no, he's definitely, definitely is. I mean, she's like, well, last night you didn't, blah blah blah. No, that's what that's about. Well, it sounded like he's they were fighting. fucking another counselor. Yeah, because the next. Well, they thing, were. Yeah, because of his behavior from the night before. But like, they were definitely. Yeah, he was definitely fucking another counselor. Yeah, so basically, like, we saw the scene with, like, Steve. This is the scene you're talking about with Steve Allister, like, fixing a gutter. Yeah. And I guess she was the one who was, like, the architect, you know, because she was, like, doing drawings of the places and shit. And then they start, like, you know, you could tell, like, there's some tension between them. Like, they probably fucked or they've been fucking. And then she's, like, they, she, yeah, and I guess, like, Alice is not having this. Like, she kind of wants to go back to California. And our boy's, like, Steve, he's, like, every guy's, like, just give me a week, brother. Just, just give me a week. <laughs> Just I'll give me some it. time. Just give me some time, Just brother. Just give me some time. You can stay right. in this, this shithole in Hope, New Jersey. Yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah. Don't go back to California. You don't want to yeah. go. No. So. You can tell, though, like, <laughs> it, like the, our different perceptions of this. Like, you can tell, like, um, the di- the difference. Like, I can just, I can tell, like, as someone who's not in, like, a long-term relationship, like, yeah, he's definitely, like, he definitely fucked her, like, recently and now he's trying to convince her to like stay with him even though he's a fucking asshole mm-hmm. um which i can relate to more than like you can probably relate to your situation 
But yeah, yeah well, I, I what character like, so would I? I understand. I'd probably be Jack in this one. You would probably be Jack in this one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would. I would definitely be Steve, who like, he, who was absent for yeah. half of the movie, and then shows up and gets killed. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, his character was so fucking lame. That's just to be honest. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm oh. pretty lame. So I'm 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 definitely like I would definitely be the lame one in this. So like, this, he spent literally spends half this movie in the diner. But yeah, yeah anyway, let's yeah, continue. Flirt, flirt, flirting with the fucking uh, oh, we'll go get with that. a sixty-year-old lady <laughs> that works there. <laughs> I should, yeah. So we meet a Bill. Bill's known for painting. That's what Bill does. And yeah. then during all this stuff, we see a lot of the first camera view, which I liked yeah. that this movie. I think like a lot of like, like horror films. Like if you don't have too much of a budget, the first camera mm-hmm. view was always like a good idea to do. You know what I mean? Because like yep. you could tell there's like trouble. You know, if you just angle the camera in a certain way or it looks like you're looking from stalking people from a long distance, it's always a really yes. good uh, tool to use in your tool bag. Right. Absolutely. So this is when, Steve, he's basically talking to the crew. He has to go. Um, he's basically saying, like, hey, wait, this Anna girl is coming here. She's going to be running the kitchen. I have to go pick up some stuff All right, for this place. But uh, yes, you know, I'll be back. He's basically saying he's be back. Well, he has to go take care of some stuff, and he'll be back for everything to open. But he basically assigns everybody their jobs. He leaves, and this is when our boy Ned he brings up like, "Hey, do you guys know this place used to be called Camp Blood?" Ha ha ha, ha ha ha. Yeah. So, question: Does he mention how long he's gonna be gone? Uh I didn't write it down, but like he probably just said he's just gonna be gone for like. A day or two, probably. Or, or a better, better question is like, does it? How long? How many days does this movie take place in? I thought at least two. Because, like, I was about to say, he seems like oh. he's gone for fucking ever. Yeah, he does. Like he, like he, like I forgot he was a character in this movie. Yeah, until he shows yeah. back up in the diner, and I'm like, but I can't. Was it? Guy? Was it over one night or no? It was definitely over one night. I just can't. He was I just definitely don't gone know. overnight. I couldn't tell because I swear we had like a next morning and then it was at least, at least two days. Yeah. So. so the so it makes it seem like he went, like he he had to leave he had to leave, and then he went to the diner and he stayed at the diner until he left and came back to the camp again. Yeah. Like it makes it seem like he's as he's at the diner for like. Two well, days. the reason they did that is because I think the movie was trying to portray like he might be the killer. True. Yeah, because, they were trying to. Yeah, they were trying to have it's kind a, of cheap in the way that the plot actually unfolds. Yes. But we'll get to that. Yeah. So basically, you know, for for him, Steve and Ralph, you know, their characters, I think, were trying to be the the background characters of like, oh, okay, they might be the killer. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. We don't see them a lot, and they kind of like a little shady. Mm-hmm. So this is so. Next thing we know, Ned he's flirting with Brenda, tries to scare her with an arrow, foreshadowing stuff for later. Uh, our girl Anna, uh-huh. she's still hitchhiking. She gets picked up by a hitchhiker, and her big thing was, she's like, "I don't know why people call them children. I think that's weird. I don't know. No, no. She's like, I think I don't get why people call them kids. They, they when you call them kids, they sound like goats. I ref, I prefer children more. What, the what fuck? a weird ass thing to say. So I don't know. Maybe it's something that people said in 1980, but I think it's weird that Enos took her halfway and yeah, then dropped, dropped her, her off. Ass off. Yeah. Like why would it? Why wouldn't you just take her the full way if you're in a driver yeah. at all? Um, the guy that played Enos was in Superman. He was a big deal actor at the time. Um, 
but uh Rex Everhart. But um but yeah, I think it's weird that he like takes her like halfway and then drops her off. Yeah, the only thing I could think summer. of is he probably just like maybe I think he said that. Like I don't think he wanted to go the full way because he bought the place's curse and he didn't want to get cursed on him. I mean, I, yeah, that's true. He does say that. That's true. That's so true. when when Anna or Annie gets picked up by this uh, mystery Jeep driver, okay? Yes. She noticed that they passed up the Crystal Lake sign. And she's like, Uh-oh. hey, um, you know, I like hitchhiked twice already for a strange town. I know it's 1980. I know a serial killer thing is not a thing yet. But you passed this Crystal Lake thing. Like, are you getting like, what's going on here? And then, like, she's like, I think we should stop. And then she just, like, okay, I, I don't know if you paid attention to the scene, but I did. So she jumps out yes. of the fucking Jeep. Like, she mm. does, like, a forward roll. And no shit, she landed, like, right on her fucking neck. Okay? And yes, then this yeah. is, like, this is like totally, like, a botch wrestling move. Because she did a forward roll, landed on her neck, and then she started selling her knee. Because she was limping when she was walking. <laughs> I was like, come on, girl. You're not even going to sell the neck. You're going to sell the knee. <laughs> oh, I thought that part was great. So she, like, jumps out of the fucking Jeep, selling her fucking knee, even though yeah. she's not under her neck, running throughout the fucking forest, trying to get away from the killer that we don't know who the killer is yet. And then eventually the killer gets up to her, and then we have our first murder where he's, where the killer supposedly slashes her throat, even though the killer's hand definitely had some hair on it, so it looked like a guy at the time. When you slow it down, the hands look like a guy's hands. I'm just saying. So now we have all the uh, the kids. They're playing in the water. Okay? So yeah. they're all like just getting along. And the big thing about this was Ned, he pretended to drown, but he didn't drown. Okay? <laughs> and he just wanted to get some... Uh, he was like the jokester guy. He didn't drown. He yeah. just wanted to... He wanted to smooch. And then one of his big things was he asked everybody... If you were an ice cream, which flavor would you be? Allison, if you were an ice cream, what flavor would you be? I would be strawberry. Really? I thought, uh, I thought, um, what, what's like the tardest fucking uh, ice cream you can get out of here? <laughs> I thought you'd be coffee nut or fucking coffee nut or something. You're such <laughs> a fucking asshole. Like, yeah, so I have to be the tardest flavor. <laughs> the tardest. Okay, that's fucking fine. <laughs> Fuck you. So, like, yeah, I have to be the, I have to be the tardest flavor. Okay. I'm coffee flavor. How's that? Yeah. Is that that's what's wrong that's, with that, brother? That better. That's a great flavor. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that you're the sweetest flavor, right? I'd be better. I'd be the fucking you. buttercup. All right. Yeah. Fuck you. Right. Fuck you. Know. Strawberry. But anyway, what are you burnt <laughs> over here? Oh, this little flavored personality of yours. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're like you're like the Ned of this podcast, the guy that pretends to drown so that everybody can like it worked, help didn't him it? out and feel sympathy. He for got him. that it, smooch. Well, he, yeah. he got that smooch, didn't he? he? Oh, you got yeah, brother. That's true. You're saying. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He got what he got. What he wanted. You're yeah. absolutely right. Um, but yeah, so they're all they're all playing in the water, which I thought was also a really realistic looking scene. Like yeah. I, it looked like people actually playing in the water, which I think was really cool. And I, I so, think it looked really good. And not everybody had a perfect tan as well, too. True. That I, that's a big deal. Which is something you wouldn't see nowadays at all. Nope. Nope. If if in one of those damn conjuring movies or whatever, like if they had a beach scene in that, everybody would have the perfect tan. Yep. Whereas here they don't. They have the pan lines. They look real people. Yeah. Real people the, doing real things. One of the things. better things about the Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Real people doing real things. One of the better things about the 
early 80s movies versus like movies of today but it's just one of those things yeah times change right yeah and then uh the character um brenda she did kind of notice that she might have somebody looking at them through the forest but she couldn't really tell so this is when yes. allison she gets back to her place yes foreshadowing and then she sees a snake and i actually thought this part was a little sad for you know killing off like random animals but you know it's, it's the time so now she gets freaked about mm. the snake bill comes in all the other people come in they fight over getting this snake and they eventually cut down the snake kind of foreshadowing yeah, which is shitty because right which is shitty because most most snakes are not are, are completely harmless yeah and um you shouldn't be afraid of them yeah this one didn't even look that harmless at all like, it looked like a black real. snake it no. could have just been a garden it was just a regular black snake you should like like for real talk you know from one real dude from to an, to real people out there most snakes are completely harmless they're not going to hurt you yeah. even poisonous snakes are really not going to hurt you unless you fuck with them yeah like a copperhead or rattlesnake well it might bite you but it's not going to put venom in you unless you fuck with it but anyway so these people kill the snake it's sad now i want them all to die because they killed this you know, so though th- th- this is when ed makes a joke like well i guess we're not we're having for dinner Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Funny, Ned. So this part is Ned's a little weird. Asshole. So we have an officer showing up. And he first he's just accusing all this these kids great. of smoking. <laughs> so first he just accused everybody of okay. smoking weed. And he kept and he kept making fun of uh I, I believe it was Ed, he was the one in the um the Indian garb. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's like when he's like he keeps uh, calling him Tonto. Yeah, yeah, pon- yeah Tonto, yeah. <laughs> So he's looking it's for just the fucking hilarious. This guy's yeah. funny. So the cops looking for the uh, the town crazy, which is Ralph. Yeah, he said, "Yeah, Ralph. Ralph has escaped. We can't find him. Have you seen him anywhere?" The kids are like, "No, we haven't seen him." He's like, "Okay, well, sometimes when he's drinking, he's off his rocker. He could be a little dangerous. If you see him, let me know." Then the cop gets a, a call saying they need him down. Mm. And he's like, "All right, guys, when the chief calls, you got to get there." All right, so he tells everybody, to, "Hey, kids." keep your noses clean and he's and like yeah. no weird stuff over here and he leaves don't do any of that marijuana or that cocaine yeah don't do any of that marijuana and cocaine oh, yeah right this is well it's the beginning of the 1980s so i don't do you think they were doing a lot of cocaine right in the 80s like right like 1980 probably probably again they so, were well i mean we see the evidence that they were doing plenty of marijuana in those oh yeah definitely marijuana doing, that's for sure doing the marijuana that was probably like a that was probably like a must for like you know filming like okay you gotta get on stage get the hair makeup you know what I mean oh, yeah. get the weed going oh, yeah. it's just part of the it's part of the gimmick yeah I mean if I were if I were in this I would definitely have to be stoned but yes anyway. so this part was a little hilarious so I believe it's Alice she's they all go back inside and they find Ralph in the pantry <laughs> and he's the, <laughs> yes and he's there just like I got a message <laughs> from God. You're all doomed. You're all doomed. He's <laughs> like randomly in the pantry. I forgot about that. So and you're like, like uh, <laughs> okay. It's like, you shouldn't stay. You got to leave. And the kid's like, you okay, you're a little weird. Out. You're all doomed. You're all doomed. He like walks up on his bike. I'm like, this guy is crazy. But he's not wrong. He's not wrong, though. No, he's not wrong. And they all like make jokes and shit about it. And then they're like asking, like, so they're in like the room making food, and they're wondering why Anna never showed up. And then the power goes off a little mm. bit, and they got to go check on the generator. And for some reason, Ed makes jokes 
that Jack knows stuff about the generator. Calls him a macho man. So I guess there's like there's a little like tension between them two. I suppose. So we see Jack and the the girl uh, Marcy. They're like flirting with each other. And this is when we see Ed, uh, Ned. He's off in the distance, and he goes into he hears something in like one of the bunkers, and he goes inside the bunker. And this is when we get Jack and all of them flirting, Jack and Marcy flirting. And he, the, the, we hear like this little wind gust. And he's like, "Did you feel that? The wind just turned 180 degrees." And I don't know why I thought that line was so like funny. I don't know why. So it's a, it's basically a, a, about to start to rain, okay? Yes. And it's, it's it's going to rain, and then this is when Jack kind of brings up Ed a little bit, uh, or Ned. I keep saying Ed. It's Ned. He brings up Ned and how like Ned's like jealous of him. He, he Marcy does like all this big sister talk to Ned, and Ned's basically just made to be a big joker type type of guy. So. And they start talking, and then this is when, um, this is when Marcy, she, she, she's going on about a dream. So, one, one thing this movie does do, it does, like, does a lot of, like, foreshadowing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's really good at that. Like, the, 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 the cutting of the snake, the, the, the river of blood that, that, that Marcy's talking about now, um, showing some characters leaving, some crazy characters you don't know who the demon, either the killer is. So it does a really good job on the foreshadowing. So she has basically this dream is she having is like there's like this rain of blood and then the river washes this blood away and it's just this really bad dream about uh, a lot of like death happening. And and then of course Jack he doesn't really care. He's like ah oh, it's not real this is real and then they start kissing a little bit and they go to a cabin and they start kissing in the cabin. And, you know, Ned is in that other cabin. And, you know, during this, we could see that somebody has attacked him inside that, that cabin that he went into. So now we're with the rest of our characters. And Allison, I got, I, I'm pretty sure you've played this before. Okay. Oh, have, yeah. you, have you ever played Strip Monopoly before? <laughs> I was going to bring this up. No, yeah. I've never played Strip Monopoly um, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about this. Like, Monopoly is like the longest game in the world. Yes. Um, so <laughs> it would take like forever. Well, they had a lot of time to get naked in this game. What's the point? <laughs> you know, what I mean, you gotta like you know. But I mean, they had time. a lot of time, though, right? I mean, they're just like sitting here in this camp with no internet or yeah, not shit to do. So they're like, oh, well, might as well play strip yeah. Monopoly for. So we, six but, hours. First of all, though, our boy Bill, like he had the good odds, though. Like it was our boy Bill, Alice, and Brenda. He had so the good odds. He yeah. had the good odds. You know, one dude, two chicks. I mean, come on now, brother. That's an '80s guy dream. And I swear, but but I could have been wrong. I swear he was drinking a beer that I used to drink all the time, fucking Red Stripe. So okay, so I was gonna bring that up too. Yeah. So I think that's a Red Stripe as well. Like yeah. it doesn't say it doesn't show the Red Stripe logo. But I'm pretty sure that's a red stripe. But it wasn't, it though, like because there was a different bottle, scene. Bottle. I know, it had the red stripe bottle, but there was a different scene where it said Budweiser. Mm. Like on the corner. So I mean, I it's made, 1980, so maybe the bottles were different. Yeah. But I've never, I, I, you know, I, in my lifetime, I haven't seen a Budweiser bottle that was shaped like that. Me either. 
but um, but that's the red stripe shape, right? Yeah. That's that's what a, a red and they could have just had like. both on set, you know. Maybe, and and it could be that just bottles were shaped different, yeah. you know, back then than they are now. Um, but yeah, I was gonna bring that up too. Like, it looks like it looked like they were drinking red stripes. Yeah, that was one of my major. But, like, I mean, college beers, brother. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, red stripes great. It's a great Jamaican beer, but you know, the odds are in his favor, right? Like, it doesn't matter if you end up na- like the point. The point of Strip Monopoly, not that I'm an expert, but the point of Strip Monopoly, I would imagine, is not that you don't end up naked, but that the girls do. So it's okay if you end up naked as long as the girls do, right? That's kind of... Well, I mean, like at this point, he's the only guy there, so he's like, I don't give a fuck. Both these girls can get naked. Right, fuck it. Like, I mean, ideally, you would end up naked with the two naked girls, right? Like, that's like... I don't know. Well, I mean, all I know is this Brenda girl, like she was hinting at a menage a trois. That's all I'm saying. So, okay. So that brings up another point. So there's a point, you know, like, so the, I know you're going to mention this in a minute, but like the power goes out or the, not the power goes out, but the storm like blows everything away. And yeah. she's like, well, we're going to have to finish this another night. And it was just getting interesting. And she was talking to um, Alice. So like, it, it kind of implies that she wants to fuck Alice. Yeah. Something. Yeah, it kind of implies. Well, I don't know if this Alice, was real life. I don't maybe know. Yeah. Well, I don't know why our boy Bill didn't step in. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where are you going? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, maybe he was just shocked. Yeah, maybe, maybe he was just yeah. shocked. Like, like I've been in that situation before. Like, he just didn't think quick enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he should have been like, you know, look, this doesn't have to end yeah. here. It's just a little rain. You don't it's worry just about little rain. Don't worry about we, going closing your fucking blinders. You don't need it. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. We can just move to the next room and yeah. we can just forget about the game part yeah. and we'll pretend we all, all lost. And we'll <laughs> all take off our clothes yeah, and while Jack's in the other cabin yeah. with what's her name, we'll just, all three of us will yeah. just fuck it in this, in this background. Well, hold on. Yeah, Speaking I mean, of our like, boy Jack, <laughs> he is laying some pipe down. He's doing, what I, what I wrote my notes is oh, Jack, yeah. Jack is giving, uh, uh, Jack is giving Mars the beacon dick. Well, the bacon dick. All right. Or the bacon dick. All right. The bacon dick. Give her that fucking yes, sausage, Marcy. brother. Marcy. Yeah. yeah. Marcy played by Janine Taylor. So I can't huh. figure out. So is Marcy, are Marcy and Jack dating or is she just like. No, I think they're dating. The camp slut who fucks at everybody. No, okay. no, 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 no. She, no, they, we, we, right. we, we, right. we ain't in 1986 yet. Okay. Like we're, this All is right. still what 19. Is we still have nice, right. uh, young, uh, respectable counselors. Okay. All right. So she's, so, so they're dating. <laughs> yeah. So there's a funny story. Like, have you ever seen, uh, that, um, return to camp blood documentary? I think it's what it's called. Return to camp blood. Uh, no, but isn't that part of the, 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 the disc set that we have? No, it's not on our disc set. It's a it's a different documentary, but it's like two parts, like six hours long about the oh, document yeah. about the making of all those movies. Yeah. But anyway, so like Janine Taylor, the the girl that played Marcy, so so originally she signed on for this movie, and so there's a scene where like you know her and Kevin Bacon are having sex, and like you can see her boobs for a minute, um, and um. She originally didn't sign on for any nudity in the movie, but the director, Sean Cunningham, was like, nobody's going to ever see this movie. 
This is going to be like a, a small independent film oh, that nobody's line. ever going to see. I like that. So you don't, you don't have to worry about it. And then it became like one of the biggest horror movies of all time. And now she's like nude in this movie. Yeah. But yeah, so that's like, that. that's a funny story. There wasn't too much nudity though. No, just, but still you can see her boobs in it. And she, she thought that nobody would ever see this movie. So why, after uh, the bacon got done sizzling, um, we <laughs> I see what you did there. Yes, we see that they're they're like on a bunk bed, and we can see that the dead Ned, dead Ned, dead, is on the dead top. Dead Ned. So this is so, all. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say. So they didn't notice that there's a dead body on the top bunk of this. Uh, no, they're too busy fucking, bro. No, too busy. They're too busy to have too much of a so one yeah. uh what's the word i'm looking for one uh one uh one focus yeah no that's way up there yeah. anyway you can't notice it so we're back with uh bill alice and uh, brenda and brenda she's she wants to bring out the old uh the old grass all right start smoking brother make oh. this game a little bit more crazier yeah all right so <laughs> Uh, I like this part. So I put Jack came and Marcy, uh, she has to go pee now. All right. So, uh, so now the, uh, so we keep going back and forth, back and forth and the cameras and stuff. So the game is kind of cut short. Uh, so this is when I kind of noticed that uh, Bill was drinking her Budweiser. So the game shook short because of the big wind that happened that we talked about. And, uh, Mm -hmm. So they all had like see the window the the wind came in kind of ruined the game and then Brenda basically has to go there because or she left her windows open and while Jack is waiting for uh, uh, Marcy to come back from taking a shit he's just waiting in his bed and this is when we get the whole stab his ass to the fucking underneath the bed to the throat scene which is pretty crazy I thought it was a really well done yes. uh, death scene yeah so. Tom Savini again is like we, you know, we've talked about Tom Savini before. Uh, lastly, in in uh, Day of the uh, Dawn of the Dead, but yeah, so basically they had Kevin Bacon in like an apparatus where his body was underneath the bed, yeah, and then they had like a fake body where they just stuck the arrow up through his neck. It looks amazing. Yeah. I mean, Tom Savini is a genius. Yeah, um, it, was, it was very creative. Really awesome. Yeah, absolute an absolute genius. Um, I mean, I've met him too, and he was he was not nearly as nice as uh, as the other people, but he's an absolute genius in what he does. Yeah, yeah, brother. He just gets his gimmick. He knows how good he is. So, he so this is when we see Marcy. She is now uh, finishing up taking a shit. She was in there a long time, so she had to be taking a shit. She she was in there quite a while, getting that bacon juice off her. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> glad you said uh, that and not me bro i always said that you, come on, this is we're talking about 1980s <laughs> horror films brother i have to say crazy lines like that okay get the bacon right. juice so, yeah, like, okay. right, so, so right. now she's like talking to herself in the fucking mirror okay yeah and she keeps hearing noises around the place so you know they this movie does do pretty good on this on the suspense and I'm pretty sure they got a lot yes. of that suspense from like Halloween. You know what I mean? Like you got to do like the we hear noises, we hear a little suspense. You know, very very good stuff. I liked it. 
So she's looking around and all these curtains and then she eventually turns around and she sees a big giant axe and then she gets axed right in the face, brother. Yeah. I have a problem with this scene. Um, I'm not, I have not axed a lot of people in the face personally. Oh, really? And right. I know it's hard to believe. Um, I have not axed a lot of people in the face personally, um, but it does not seem like, so the killer comes up to Marcy and just axes axes her in the face and the ax sticks in her head. But it doesn't, it seems like to me it would just knock her down. I mean, like maybe. physics wouldn't work that way, but I'm, I am not, I am, I am not a, a phys, I'm not um, a master of physics and I'm also not a serial killer. Yeah. So I do not know if these things will work the way they're supposed to, but, um, I feel like that it would have just knocked her down. It would have been more realistic if it had axed her in the face and like stuck into the wall or something. But anyway, here we are. Marcy gets axed in the face. Yes. All right. Well, this is 1980, so things work a little different. They okay. th- right, physics were different in 1980. Yeah. So now we're at the diner, old school diner, brother. You know what I mean? We like those old school diners. You know what I mean? Yeah. You go in there, have a nice little meal, flirt on, flirt with. I the, love diners. Flirt with the old waitresses. Good stuff. Yeah. So Steve goes to diners a lot when we're on the road. Yeah. Well, yeah. Definitely got to, brother. It's the only places mm-hmm. to go. Yeah. So Steve's there. He's uh, just for two days for two. Yes, he's, I guess he's well, he <laughs> he went so he came back and he's at his diner now. And he's just got done eating and he's all like, hey, you know, so, I guess yeah. he was I, like, I, I guess I guess what happened was he was supposed to stay a little longer, but he's all like, what yeah, I can't I can't like I got this. I got this fucking camp opening. I got all these fucking teenagers <laughs> who can't find their way out of a fucking paper bag in the woods. So I got to fucking go back <laughs> right. there and babysit their asses. Yeah, all these people are yeah. completely fucking idiots. I've got to get back to the camp. And then I like, then I yeah, I'm gonna flirt with this girl at the fucking uh, diner, and then leave. By girl, you mean someone who's like in her sixties? Yes. <laughs> so now uh, Steve is going in with his jeep and the trailer behind him to go back to the uh, to the Crystal Lake. So now, now, now we have Brenda. Now she's in the washroom. <laughs> okay, so I guess. <laughs> Was that a front of her closing her windows? She just wanted to go take a shit as well? I'm not sure. I guess so. She had to go take a shit yeah. too. So killers around, you know, obviously you could see like the first person views and of course she hears mm. something. So apparently our boy Steve got <laughs> like stuck <laughs> in the mud or something. So the cops show oh, up. Oh, of course. Yeah. And they uh, they pick him. They pick Steve up to uh, to drive him back to the lake. So Brenda, she's at the cabin alone, and of course she's hearing noises outside. And then I thought this one was yeah. kind of clever how they did this. So we hear like this little kid saying, "Help me, help me!" All right. Yes. And she, which is like, I guess we could kind of talk about it now. Like, was it the mom like just recreating his voice? Because I was sound- going to ask you the same question. Yeah. So I don't know, like. So I'm I'm guessing so, right? Yeah. So it's like it's like the psycho thing, but in reverse. Yeah. So in psycho, it's it's Norman Bates doing his mom's voice. But here it's the mom doing the kid's voice. Yeah. Because I mean see, that's the only yeah. explanation, right? That's yeah. the only explanation as for why she can 
hear this little kid saying, help me, help me. Yeah. yeah. So Brenda basically just goes outside. It's raining fucking all over the place. She can't find the kid and lights just turn on and she starts freaking out. So Allison, she's alone in the cabin right now because Bill, he went to go uh, uh, check on the uh, the generator and shit. Oh, yes. Yes. And then, um, so she's alone in the cabin being bored. Bill comes back, said generator is fine. Allison's like, well, I heard some person scream and the lights are on at the archery place, but they're off now. And he's like, okay, well, let's go check it together. So they go out there and check it together. And then this is when Bill finds the axe just on a bed. So we don't see the body of Marcy or the body of uh, Jack or Brenda or anything. We just see an axe on the bed. And they start freaking out okay. a little bit. So they go to check for everybody. You know, they see where everybody's at, but they can't find anybody. Right. And then, of course, Al's like, well, shit, I think we should call somebody. Yeah, Maybe. He's like, well, like the call cops. somebody. Like, who? What are you going to fucking call? Like, <laughs> Ghostbusters? Like, who the fuck are you calling? <laughs> so they break into the office, and the phone's not working, of course. So then they go check one mm-hmm. of the cars, and the car's not working. But Bill's like, ah, don't worry about this. Everything will be fine. We'll be laughing about I'm this sure. tomorrow. Thanks, yeah, I'm sure we Thanks, will. Bill. <laughs> so... So now we see the cop uh, and Steve. This is a different cop than the one we got earlier. And Mm. the the guy is talking to Steve saying how like Friday the 13th. And not only is it Friday the 13th, but there's a full moon too. And he's all like, yeah. Of course. Yeah, it brings all these crazy people. And we get more. Everything's fucked up on the full moon. We get more murders and rape. And this fucking full moon and shit. All right. Yeah, that, the cop's a really dark guy. And he's like, yes. and he's like, hey, by the way, you know, uh, you know that crazy Ralph guy? Yeah, I was like, oh, don't worry about him. We got him back with his wife, so everything's okay with him. <laughs> ah, crazy Ralph is married. Crazy yeah. Ralph has a wife. That, yeah, that, he's that, back with that his wife thing, now. That's what, that's what astounded me the most. So basically, now we have it established <laughs> that crazy Ralph's not the one doing the kill, the killing. And Steve can't be doing the killing because he is in the police car. So now we're shocked of like, who is what? this killer? Who is it supposed to be? Who is the, who could be the killer? So then could it be someone we haven't seen yeah. in the movie yet. So then the cop gets like a weird call about some people being trapped. So he can only so he's just mm. gonna drop off Steve at the fucking um at the sign, the Camp Crystal Lake sign. So he drops him off there. Yes. Steve gets out of the car, starts to walk around. He sees somebody with a flashlight, goes up to him. He's like. Oh hey, 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 what are you doing here? Oh, okay, cool. Hey, why are you out in this craziness? And then he just randomly gets stabbed. And then there goes oh, fucking Steve. Because I know you. Yeah. But the the audience doesn't because uh-huh. if they did, they might be able to figure out who the killer was. So now that's the only thing I hate about the movie. Anyway. So now Bill, he's checking on all the lights and stuff, um, and then uh, so the lights went off again. And Bill yeah. is checking on, he's going to go check on the lights while Alice, she gets some sleep. So Bill's checking on the generator. Of course, we see the noise. The, the noise is the, 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 every time like people are like by themselves, you pretty much hear the whole kill, kill, kill shit, noise and shit. Yeah. So Alice, she's now awake. Now she's looking for Bill. Um, she, she's going around and she, she can't find Bill at all right now. So she, she goes around and 
she eventually goes to the to the generator room and she opens it up and then Bill is now killed with a bunch of arrows and he is like on the door, like halfway on the door. Stuck in the door with arrows. And I gotta ask mm-hmm. you, now that we know the killer is the mom, how did she physically kill Bill, lift his ass up, and then peg him into a door with a bunch of arrows? Well, that's one of the many things that you just can't figure out from this movie, right? Like, there's a lot of... Once you know that the killer is the mom, a lot of things don't make any sense. Yeah. So, like, she, like, shot him full of arrows and then stuck him into a door. Yeah, but he was like... You know, remember on Halloween where, like, Michael, like, grabbed the guy and fucking stabbed him and he was there? Well, Michael is, like, powerful. Like, he's strong. Like... Yeah, she's no no Michael Myers. My thing, like my my reason, was because it was booked. Well, of course, yeah, it was booked that way. Yeah, um, that makes but sense. But yeah, it's it's just like it it it, it doesn't make it it doesn't make any sense. Like it's just it's not right. Like it should never have been. Um, it should never have been booked that way, but it was. Yeah. Um, like it, it's just it's just made for shock value. Like it's almost like they didn't know who the killer was gonna be when they when they made the movie, but obviously they did. So now uh, Al she leaves all freaked out, goes back to the cabin, tries mm-hmm. to lock up the cabin with some some tying and a rope. She's looking around, says, "What am I gonna do?" And then all of a sudden, Deborah's dead body goes flying through the window. So I think we have established that Mrs. Voorhees has supernatural human power. She does. She's magical, which makes sense because Michael does too. So. So then we had this uh, Jeep shows up. And this is when we actually meet Mrs. Voorhees. So Alice goes, talks to her outside. And she, Mrs. Voorhees just says, yeah, I've been, uh, I'm just a family friend of the Christie's. And Alice is like freaking about all the dead people. And Mrs. Voorhees is just basically blowing her off. Like, oh, don't worry about it. You just It's just this place. It's cursed. And you're just going crazy. Don't worry about it. And she's like, no, no, there's somebody around here and stuff. Uh, you, you should be afraid. She's like, I'm never afraid. And then they go in, they see the dead Deborah. This is when Mrs. Forey's like, oh, she was so young, so pretty. And then now she's like slowly mm. like turning. She's like, this place has just been cursed this whole time. Did you know that there was a boy who drowned here? And there was the camp counselors you know. were, were paying attention to him at all. You know, like he wasn't like the best swimmer. Like we, we, we knew he, he didn't know how to swim that well. <laughs> okay. And they just let him fucking drown. All right. I I I mean I understand that I'm kind of an asshole, but I I think this scene is funny. Like when she's like, he, we know yeah. he's not the best swimmer. Yeah, the best swimmer. I mean, come on. <laughs> and then she goes on like, yeah, I was the uh, the cook here when all this is when all this was going down. And she's like, you know, these fucking counselors and stuff. You know, they just weren't paying attention at all, like they should have been. Okay. And I just couldn't let them open up this place again. Because of all this shit that was going on. Now Alice is like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He's like, my sweet Uh-oh. Jason. All right, you took them, he, they took them away from me. And then she tries to go attack Alice. And then she, she now doesn't have her supernatural powers because it's one-on-one combat. So now Uh-oh. Alice gets the upper hand and gets away from her. Yeah. And this is when she goes into, Alice goes into the Jeep. She sees the dead Marcy, and then she sees Steve hanging from a tree. Uh-oh. So apparently, like, Voorhees... 
You know, there is a lot of weird. So, so Mrs. Voorhees did all this fucking murder, like throw Steve on a tree, throw Brenda through some glass, moved all these dead bodies. Yet she, when she like comes up in the jeep, she's like perfectly like in like. No, there's no stains on her shirt. There's nothing. Yeah, none of this makes any and sense. And she did that all like, within she, like she was, two seconds. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever tried to throw a body through a window, but it's really mm-hmm. not as easy as it sounds. Well, I mean, like, um, okay, I can, I can, I can kind of. Like pass it because we'll we'll talk about later. Jason has supernatural powers. Okay, Jason is different. So did his mom he, he also have the same powers or no? Or is she just supposed to no, be like a normal no. lady? She's a normal lady. But then how does Jason she has all the supernatural shit? powers because he is not supposed to exist. And we'll talk about that next week. But Jason is not supposed to exist, and therefore he has supernatural powers. Mrs. Voorhees is just a normal person. Well, she's strong as fuck, apparently. She threw fucking Steve. She's apparently strong as fuck, yes. Maybe she's a power lifter. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Could be. So after all this, uh, Alice uh, just keeps running. The The mom Voorhees looks for her. Alice kind of tricks her a little bit. And uh, so this is when we see that Mrs. Voorhees has like a split personality. Kind of like what we were saying, like Psycho. So yes. her split personality is basically Jason talking through her. Right. So, so it's, it's like, like Psycho, but in reverse. Yes. Like, kill her, mommy. Kill her. Don't let her Don't let her live. She's like, I yeah. won't, Jason. I won't. And, of course, Alice goes into the armory, which uh, um, I got a question for you, Allison. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if you're opening up a summer camp for kids... Would you have a armory full of about like a hundred shotguns in there? Absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was like, "Fuck, bro, why?" Like fucking back in the eighties, bro, you could just have buckets. Like we talked about that last yeah. week in the zombie movies. You just have buckets, buckets yeah, of age, guns everywhere. The eighties yeah. were fucking wild. Like know, there was like arm, armories everywhere. I, everywhere. Like, you could just get like an M sixteen anytime yeah. you needed it. Yeah, M sixteen fucking at fucking hospitals, <laughs> fucking churches. Now they're at fucking summer yeah. camps, and don't, don't yeah. no problem. Absolutely, ninjas and like you know Vietnam era like armament was normal yeah. back in the eighties. So Mrs. Furry, she turns back on the lights now. So Alice gets kind of tripped out by that. And she is trying desperately to find bullets because at least, at least the bullets are locked up in a safe. Okay, so at least they are that in. So Mrs. Voorhees like, breaks into the armory room. Like, Alice is like the worst with the gun. She doesn't even like try to like shoot her with it. She just like tries to hit her with it for a second. And then, yeah. she, <laughs> then she throws some fucking yarn on her. That was part of it. was pretty funny. She just threw like a ball of yarn on her. So that's, they, that's that's gonna stop her, right? Yeah, I mean, come on. She just throws like random shit on her, and then they sure. fight up, and then they fight a little bit. And Alice is like, and then and then Alice again gets the upper hand, and she runs away. So I'm like, okay, so so Mrs. Voorhees has superhuman power when we don't see her on screen, but when she's on screen, she's mm-hmm. just like a normal lady. She's a normal, she's a normal lady. That makes sense. That's the way they booked it. So so Alice is so she escaped and stuff. And she, so she goes back and she, so Alice goes back into the cabin. And of course uh-huh. the, 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 um, Mrs. Forrest is like, you know, kill her mommy. She has no place to hide. Kill her, kill her, kill her. 
So that's how we're doing that. Allison goes back into the cabin. She eventually hides in like a closet. Mrs. Voorhees finds her in the closet. She busts out there kind of like in Psycho. Or not. She she busts out there like in The Shining. You know what I mean? Where she mm. sees her head through the little wooden door. Mm, yeah. She uh, tries to attack her with the with the knife. And of course, Alice gets the upper hand again. It's like, fuck, okay, whoa. what's going on here? <laughs> okay. So what is Alice like the kryptonite? What's going on here? So Alice gets away. Like she I guess she like thought like she knocked out um Mrs. Voorhees. Cause when they're doing that scruffle in there, she kinda like knocks her out, Mrs. Voorhees. So she just like runs to like the beach area and like lays next to a cocoon. Or yeah, those little you know, those little what do you call those things? Cocoon? Yeah, the little, you know, the little, the little boat thing. Canoes. A canoe? Yeah, she likes, she like a canoe. Yeah, canoe. Yeah. Holy fuck! Okay. Yeah, you don't remember that? <laughs> no, I remember that, but you called it a fucking cocoon. Well, I don't remember. Yeah, I just said that <laughs> off the top of my head. But yeah, the All right, canoe. Sorry, a cocoon yeah. is very different than a canoe. But yeah, she gets in a canoe. Yeah, sorry, she, I was confused. She looks, fuck for a second. Whatever. She goes up to a fucking canoe. All right? And she just waits there. All right? Don't ask me why she went there. But that's where she went. And Mar- Mrs. Forey shows up again. Has a machete. Tries to slice Allison with the machete. But, but Alice had like the Uh-oh. canoe paddler. Yeah. So they start fighting. The cool part was when Miss Orris was like banking her head against the sand. I thought that part was cool. And then Alice gets the upper hand again. Yeah. Grabs the fucking machete, runs at this fucking bitch, and just chops off her head. Yes. So um, where was the super? Yeah. Okay. So yes, chops off her head. There she goes. Alice starts to smile. Okay. Then she gets into the canoe. Alright. Goes off into the water. It's the next morning. She's sleeping in the canoe. Cops show up. She looks up for a little bit. Out of nowhere, the kid Jason, who had slime on all of them, grabs her, pulls her down the water. Yeah. Then she wakes up in the hospital bed. Doesn't know what's happening. Said, like, she's asking if everybody's alive. They basically said no. Said your folks nope, are on the way. Everybody's dead. Everybody's dead. What folks about are on the, the little boy? What about the little... Yeah. Yeah. What? Not about the fucking girl I chopped her fucking head off. All right. What about this little boy that tried to, like, drown me? He's like, well, we didn't find mm-hmm. no boy. Then he's still out there. Then he's still out there. Then we get shots of the water, brother. And that's it. So... The thing about this, the ending of this movie is so the scene where so if you watch the documentary about how they made this and the how the the scene where they cut uh um Betsy Palmer's head off in the movie like Tom Savini talks about how they used um they made a head and a body, and they put it together through with with uh, um, uh, toothpicks. Oh, cool! Like they used to- toothpicks to hold it together. 
And if you watch the movie now, and I watch the movie now, and I see it because it shows it in slow motion with them cut with with uh, Alice cutting her head off. Yeah, and um, you can see the toothpick sticking up out of her neck. Like I can't unsee that now that I know how they made it. It's kind of like wrestling in a way. Um, you know, like once you see how something in wrestling is done, you'll ne- you can never unsee it. Um, yes. So, like, just like the slapping of the leg when he when somebody does a super kick, like once you see that, you'll never unsee it. And like I'm that way with this movie now. Like I can I like I can never unsee the toothpicks stinging up out of her neck. Like when you watch it again, you'll see it. Like if you watched it right now, you would see the toothpicks in her neck. They're obvious, but they're not obvious if you don't know how the how the effect is done. Um, but another thing too is like it's kind of funny how um, you can when you show that when you show the hand um, grabbing her neck, that's actually Tom Savini's hands, and that's why they have hair on the knuckles, like you mentioned yeah. earlier. Yeah, um, you know, like when when he cuts her Al th- Annie's throat, that's Tom Savini's hand, and that's why they have hair on the knuckles. And because Betsy Betsy Palmer is like adamant, like she's in many interviews, she's like, I don't, I do not have hair on my knuckles. <laughs> um, but it's kind of funny that uh-huh. you know that like, you can see that now. But uh, but yeah, so um, but yeah, I, I think I think the ending of the movie is really good. I would have preferred the movie to end just on the lake. I don't like the 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 um, Jason ending, but I'm sure a lot of people do. I'm sure I'm. I'm probably the minority in that, but I, I I don't love the Jason ending. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? Like, well, how do you feel about it? Now that I like, you know, did a deep dive into the movie, it it kind of didn't really make a lot of sense for Jason to show up at the end of the movie because it makes no sense. The at all. mom only went crazy because of her kid drowning and dying. Like, did they not recover his body from the lake ever? You know what I mean? Like, apparently not. So I guess I mean I guess like her knowing that her son died in the lake would drive mm. her to be a mad and crazy and have a split personality that made her into a killer. But if the kid was like just some supernatural creature living in the lake the whole time, you know, why didn't he ever like bring his head up and, you know, well, well maybe, maybe it's yes. like a, maybe it's like a circle of, maybe it's a circle of like the camp where it is cursed, where since the mom died there, her, the mom's death has resurrected a killer being from the lake, which is Jason. Okay, all right. You're trying to fix it now. You're trying. You're like you're, a, you're a filmmaker trying to fix it, yeah. and I I respect that. But think about it though. So Jason was killed in before 1957. No, it was 1957. Let's say it was 1957. I'm pretty sure that the, the the kids singing Michael Ray Your Boat Ashore was after he was killed. Yeah. But let's him. say it wasn't. Let's say it wasn't. Let's say it was the same year. It's now 1980. So we're supposed to believe that Jason lived in the woods yeah. from 1957 to 1980. His mother knew nothing about it. Lives in the water. Yeah, she was still in the area killing people. Well, first of all, Allison, he lived in the water, kind of like Aquaman. Oh, right, like, huh? <laughs> like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, 
Okay. All Maybe right. if it's his sure. ghostly spirit. Maybe. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll have this conversation again next week when we talk about Friday the 13th Part 2. But, yeah, none of this shit makes any fucking sense. But it's still fun to watch, and I well, still love it. Friday the 13th Part 2 is actually one of my favorite yes. horror movies of all time. It is my favorite of the of all yes. the movies. Part 2 is my favorite. That one's going to be I love it. I love it. That one's going to be super fun. Like that that's yeah. a that's a that is a very fun one. So maybe yes. it will, we'll we'll see how they uh I don't think they even like do any of the loose ends with number 2. Like they do like a couple of them but not like a whole lot. But I, it, it is a fun a one. A little bit a- Adrian King is in it. Yeah. Tying up like the uh the the like a character from the first movie but but it, but yeah, part two is definitely just like let's make another one of these somehow. But they did use elements from from this first one that I thought were really cool. But we'll talk bit. about that when we get there. A little there. bit. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, everybody, Friday the Thirteenth, the original. Very uh, mm-hmm. you know, once you watch it with the uh, our new eyes, like we've been watching it over here, it's it's a little polarizing of film. Um, there yeah. is a lot of like well, gaps you can find in the film, but it's definitely one of the most um, iconic films of all time. That's for sure. That that's true. And one thing that I wanted to mention before we leave is um, I don't know if you've ever read the book. Oh, the book. But um, <laughs> the Agatha Christie um, story, um, and then um, when I read it, it was called Ten Little Indians, but now it's called And Then There Were None. It's basically the same story. So basically, and then and and in, in uh, Tindall Indians, there's like these people who are drawn to this island for some reason. They're they're uh, they're um, summoned to there to be at this island, and they're gonna inherit a bunch of money if they go. And then they start getting killed one by one, and you don't know who the killer is until the end, and why the people why the people are getting killed. It's basically the same story. Like they basically took. And then there were none from Agatha Christie and made it into Friday the 13th. But it's still, um, I mean, it's a great movie. It's, it's a great book, great movie. Um, but yeah, um, I love this film. I love it. And um, if you don't know that Betsy Palmer, uh, Mrs. Voorhees is the killer, the movie is better. But yeah, I love this film. And we're going to do part two next week. Part two, brother. We're going to keep that train rolling. Yes. So, uh, so when we get out of here, what kind of what kind of Van Halen song should we be playing for everybody? Man, we need to we need to hear some Van Halen on the way out of here, right? Let's uh, let's listen to a song from Women and Children first, which was the album they were touring under. Let's listen to Romeo Delight. Oh, Romeo Delight, brother! You know yes. our boy Jack was trying to be like a Romeo on here. You know what I mean? He was trying to, and he the- succeeded until he died. It's true. It's true, yeah, exactly. He was uh, sizzling that bacon on her. All right, he was. He was uh, showing Marcy what 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 being at camp's all about. Then unfortunately, yeah. he got and, stabbed to the fucking throat, brother. And you know, to be honest with you, like you know, the girl that played Marcy was pretty hot, and she might be worth getting killed over. Yeah. At least he got to satisfy. You know what I mean? Before he That's uh, true. before That's he got true. ended over there, yeah. brother. But unalive. Online, <laughs> but everybody, we will see you here next week as we continue this Friday the 13th train. Jay Allison, James Klein. See y'all later. See you guys.
Show you proof of anything. I know the law, friend. 